The Air Attack with BC The Man can be heard on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and the Anchor app. Subscribe and share today. All right, we're back. And just like that, 15 more games to go in March Madness. The tournament was, yeah, it was wild. It's always wild. You see it every year, it's wild. This year was going to be, you know, especially unpredictable, I think. And I, I think he got some of that this weekend. He got a lot of it, actually. Big Ten was terrible. You wonder if being there for an extra week for the Big Ten tournament had something to do with the performance of the Big Ten teams. You have no idea. But anyway, we're down to 16. Um, Pac-12 showed out really well. We'll get to all of that. The, the made-up controversy at the women's tournament, which, you know, as, as usual, degrades. And we're actually going to start today with a story that kind of combines journalism and politics and just how full of shit those people tend to be. I read an article not too long ago. I, I, I forget, actually, how I came across it. But there's an article in People magazine. And I don't, I don't read this. It's about to pop up on Google or somewhere else. And somehow, somehow, I came across this article about a reporter who was covering the president and then a, a guy, you know, the guy she's dating works for the president, the, the president now, not Trump, but, but President Biden, and how he's battling cancer. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's an interesting enough article. Okay, I'll bite. I'll, I'll check it out. You know, I got some time on my hands. But the article quickly sort of devolves into something where you're like, one of her friends must have written this. There's a reason why this is being written. And it's not about, it's, it's not about him being sick, because they hardly even mention that part. That hooks you in, and you're like, what's the rest of this about? What's going on here? I'll read the article. I'll read part of it, at least, from People Magazine. It is, forgive the cliche, a tale as old as tales themselves. Girl meets boy. Boy and girl decide to have personal, not professional drinks the following year. They date. Pandemic safe, of course. You have to mention pandemic safe. Otherwise, you know, you guys are murderers. Parents get introduced, and a romance blossoms. In the case of Alexi McCammon and TJ Ducklow, however, there were some wrinkles. Okay. Okay. Let's hear the wrinkles. McCammon, 27. She's 27. 27. Is an NBC, MSNBC contributor and reporter for the political website Axios. Axios is another piece of shit website that basically makes up stories about people they don't like and that those people would basically be Donald Trump. Um, she covered Joe Biden's presidential campaign in 2019 and 2020 and got to know Ducklow. Ducklow. TJ Ducklow. It's kind of a douchey name. Anyway who was then President uh, Biden's press secretary. They were collegial, as reporters and officials often are, and then they were friends. Ducklow32 was, quote, super single, probably because he's a total asshole. That was me, by the way, not the article. While McCammon was in a serious relationship, but things change. I don't know what that means. Things, what do you mean things change? Like you met this guy and decided you didn't want to be with your actual boyfriend? That sounds great. No, nothing red flaggish about that at all. In November, they say, they started dating. Yeah, they say November, okay. We both realized we felt the same way, Ducklow, who joined the Biden White House as a deputy press secretary, tells people. We're both really happy, and we wanted to do it the right way. That is a red flag and a half right there. Wanted to do it the right way? You wanted to do it the right way? Okay. Why wouldn't you want to do it the right way? What, what, what exactly is the wrong way? Well, you're going to find out in a minute. The article goes on. That meant telling their bosses, yada, yada, yada. Alexi McCammon was reassigned to covering progressive lawmakers and Vice President Cam Harris. Good. Good for them. For her part, McCammon says, when my personal life had the potential to interfere with work, I didn't think twice about sharing my happiness in November with Axios, that I'd found someone in TJ who shows up for me in the way I'd only hoped for. I thought this was about him being sick. Switching beats was an easy decision thanks to my Axios family who had my back in November and knows just how lovely it is to find someone who cares deeply about you. Oh my God, these are such good people. 
and they want to do it the right way. Ducklow, likewise, disclosed the relationship to his bosses at the very beginning of the relationship. Says a White House source who called him an incredibly talented and valued member of the team. Okay. All right. What's the point of all this? Why do I care? Two people dating. People date at work all the time. Why do I care? This is getting to be weird here. I'm, why are, I'm questioning at this point why there's even an article about this shit. McCammond, a rising star on her beat, has talked about the added dynamic of being a black woman in an industry not historically welcoming to either. Uh-oh, here we go. And, as a group, female reporters have long faced the misogynistic accusation they become inappropriately involved with male sources. Yeah, you know what? That's, it's inappropriate. and You know, it's, it's misogynistic to think that a woman who uses a guy for, for, for a source and ends up sleeping with him, it's misogynistic to imply that that ever goes on. In fact, you know what happens? That's never gone on once, ever once in terms of political reporting. Guys have just made it up because they hate women so much. That's what's going on here. Sure. Yeah, whatever. Absolutely. Absolutely. Noticing a theme here, by the way. McCayman says these past few years have shown how easy it is for some to make quick and misguided judgments of those in the public eye. As a young black woman in this industry, here we go, I felt this firsthand several times. TJ and I knew full well the unfair criticism our relationship might face, but knew that we weren't going to let bullies get in the way of our own happiness. Okay, bully is a word that Trump haters have been using for the last five, six years to basically describe any time he stands up to them. Okay, fine. The fact that she continues to mention age, race, gender, okay, like it's almost like it's her job, is a little disturbing here, and you can tell that there's something going on. They go on and on about their relationship, how we kept everything totally separate. We have no idea what the other one's working on. As if everyone's a complete fucking moron and have no idea. There's some cute pictures of them, yada, yada, yada. And you're thinking like, what is going on here that I care about this? And they go into his illness a little bit. And it's like, okay, you feel bad for the guy. He had stage four lung cancer. He's not even a smoker. Young guy, 32 years old. It's got to be pretty scary. Apparently she was supportive, yada, yada, yada. And this is where things sort of take a turn. Now you get the People Magazine article makes them seem like very sympathetic figures, very decent people. They want to do things the right way. Remember, they're doing things the right way. They don't want to do. They don't want to do things the wrong way. Oh God, no! They're they're too good for that. They wouldn't do things the wrong way. Bad people would do things the wrong way. These are good people. They want to do things the right way. Did you see the part in the article about how they were pandemic safe during their whole relationship? They wear masks outside. They're good people. They're great people. They're wonderful people. Black Lives Matter. Believe women. These are wonderful people. Except for this. On Inauguration Day, a reporter from Politico, it's another you know, politics website, which you know, has a very loose interpretation of what the truth actually is. It's a girl named Tara Palmieri doing a story about their relationship somehow. Somehow she found out. This is on January 20th, Inauguration Day, which is what it always is. The People Magazine article came out on February 8th. There's, there's your timing issue right there. Okay, if it seems kind of weird... There it is. You're right. It is weird. February 8th, the article comes out in People Magazine. January 20th, TJ Ducklow's on the phone with Tara Palmieri saying, quote, I will destroy you after he tried to kill the story and was routed by Politico, basically by the editor, back to the reporters. But instead of calling the reporter that contacted him, he calls Tara Palmieri. Tara Palmieri had contacted his girlfriend. So wait a second, I thought these two wanted to do everything the right way. Why would you care that someone's doing a story about the two of you if the two of you had done everything the right way from the jump? Supposedly, you don't know what she's covering. She doesn't know what you're covering, and no one believes that. I I get all that. So why would you have a problem with any of this stuff? You're not doing anything wrong. You wanted to do things the right way. I mean, come on, you're you're pandemic safe and all. (laughs) Haven't people seen you wearing the masks outside? You're good people. 
During the off-the-record call, Ducklow made derogatory and misogynistic comments. I don't know what they are, by the way. So sometimes, sometimes people's, people's interpretation of what's misogynistic and what isn't. A little, I don't know, maybe, maybe a little different than what yours or mine are. He did say this, though. He accused her of only reporting on the relationship because she was jealous that an unidentified man in the past had, quote, wanted to fuck McCammond and not you. Interesting to know, Paul Mary had no prior relationship or communication with McCammon before calling her to report on the playbook item. They didn't know each other. They had absolutely no, I'm not saying she didn't know who the woman was, but they had no sort of relationship or interaction. They go on to say it's a story that Tara Paul Mary was assigned to that she had not even independently pursued herself. So now this little coward who's working in, in, in Biden's White House, calling up a reporter, threatening her, who's just trying to do her job. Just trying to do her job, screaming and yelling at her that he'll ruin her life, when in essence, she's just doing what her bosses have told her to do. Following day, an editor at Politico reaches out to the White House about the threats, spurring multiple conversations, yada, yada, yada. T.J. Ducklow ends up losing his job. They suspended him for a week, and then people said, wait a second, I thought Joe Biden had a zero-tolerance policy for shit like this. Not to mention the idea that they pushed this pro-woman agenda down your throats for the last how many years now? And this is the way the guy's talking to a female reporter. Now, if a reporter is trying to do something to you, or just a woman in general is trying to do something to you, you know what? Use whatever language you want. If she's really trying to ruin your life, in this case, you're dating a reporter. You just happen to not like what this particular reporter is reporting on because apparently you don't want the world to know about this romance that you have, okay, that's blossoming between the two of you, whatever fairy tale you're trying to paint in People Magazine, but that you said was being done the right way. Why on earth would you care about something like that? And inauguration day is on the 20th. The People Magazine article comes out on February 8th. Two and a half weeks later, boom, here's, here's your little article in People Magazine. So People Magazine didn't really want to do a story on these two jerk-offs. You know what happened? They reached out to People Magazine and said, hey, please do a story about it so we can get ahead of this whole, of this whole thing. But you're not going to cover up something like this. And this is a guy who's working in the White House. This is what I'm talking about. The same shit that they're pushing down your throat, they don't even remotely care about. If he did, he wouldn't be screaming and yelling and threatening someone just for doing her job. I thought Donald Trump was the guy who was the big bully. I thought everyone else who had a problem with your relationship was a bully. And you're screaming at a reporter telling her you'll ruin her life if she pursues a story that she was assigned? This is an assignment. She's not going, going rogue here. Out of your mind. Well, it's okay, though, because Lexi McCammon after she loses her job, which obviously was going to happen, gets hired to be the editor at Teen Vogue. She's 27 years old. As a young black woman, she knows just how hard the industry can be. She's 27. She gets hired to be the editor at Teen Vogue, which when I was a kid was a magazine about fashion. It was about dating. It was about being a teenager. Now, apparently, it's about politics, which is its own joke, but we'll just leave that alone for another time. The problem is, when she gets a job at Teen Vogue, someone does some digging on her and finds racist tweets from 2011. They're not the worst thing I've ever seen. They're not, they're not, you know, they're neither here nor there. But this is the kind of world she created. This is the, this is the kind of stuff she's been preaching against, basically, in all these interviews, including the interview with, with People Magazine. Every, everything that, that she's involved in with her work and her professional life is about, about racism and misogyny. And yet, here we go in 2011, now Googling how to wake up with, how not to wake up with swollen Asian eyes and a bunch of other stuff, too. A couple things in there about gay people, too. They're jokes. There, there's, nothing, there's nothing, you know, incredibly malicious about it. But this is stuff that she would absolutely pounce on somebody else for doing. She is completely full of shit. These two are absolutely perfect for each other. I doubt they'll stay together. But for right now, they're absolutely perfect because they have met basically their, their, their opposite sex counterpart. 
They finally met someone who's as full of shit as they are. A couple days later, she retires or, you know, resigns from Condé Nast. I decided to part ways with Condé Nast. That's a lie, too. You got fired. That's just what it is. You got fired. It's just a statement. I became a journalist that lifted up the stories and voices of our most vulnerable communities. As a young woman of color, there it is again, that's part of the reason I was so excited to lead Teen Vogue in its next chapter. My past tweets have overshadowed the work I've done. Yeah, because you're completely full of shit. How's that sound? To highlight the people and issues that I care about. Issues that Teen Vogue has worked tirelessly to share with the world. And so we've decided to part ways. I should not have tweeted what I did, and I have taken full responsibility for that. By the way, to be fair, she was 17. Now, she would not show any kind of grace to someone else in the same situation. We just saw a similar kind of scenario with The Bachelor, right? But, hey, she, she did it. She, this, these are the rules she wants to live by. Now it's come to full circle back at her. I look at my work and growth in the years since and have redoubled my commitment to growing in the years to come, both as a person and as a professional. I wish the talented team at Teen Vogue the absolute best moving forward. Their work has never been more important. It's Teen Vogue. Teen Vogue. There are sto so many stories left to be told, especially those about marginalized communities and the issues affecting them. Basically, what they're trying to do with Teen Vogue is brainwash young people into voting for one of our two major political parties. I'll give you three guesses which one. Her time there is done. She has no job. He has no job. All because they are completely full of shit. Perfect. Absolute, the absolute perfect marriage, no pun intended, of politics and journalism being completely exposed for the insincere bullshit that it is. And the best part is, for two people who think they can pretty much do whatever they want and, and talk their way out of anything and, and behave however they want to and the rules don't apply to them, I'd never heard of either one of them before this whole story. This is literally all I know about them. Whatever you read in People Magazine or, or Vanity Fair or whatever, this is what I know about these two clowns now. And still, Alexa McCammon, who obviously doesn't really care about this stuff, what do you hear from her? Hey, age, race, gender. Age, race, gender. Can't catch a break. Young black woman can't catch a break. I was made the editor at Teen Vogue. I can't catch a break. The whole world's unfair. Everyone's bullying us. Jealous of our love. You're not immature. You have to be to suggest that someone's jealous of your romance just because, just because things aren't going your way. No, they must be jealous of us. Is it racism? Maybe. Misogyny? Maybe. Jealousy? Definitely. Everyone's jealous of our love. Our forbidden love. Who cares? Please. Do, do us all a favor. Spend the rest of your lives together. The two of you. My God, every race, gender, give me a break. That was kind of, you know, the Atlanta shootings took place last week. Eight people died. I'm not trying to make a joke about that. But immediately, immediately, everyone pounces. When I heard massage parlors, I said, oh, here we go. This is going to be something that has a lot of Asian victims, right? And I was right. I was absolutely right. Six of the eight victims are Asian. The shooter himself says that he's a sex addict and has nothing to do with race. Politicians don't care. Once LeBron James comments on it, you know they're going to they're gonna pounce on it. They've already pounced on it, and that they're not going to let it go. The next thing you know, the president's down in Atlanta. Well, wait a second. Hold on now. The guy himself said it wasn't race-motivated. It was not race-related at all. So why are you insisting that it is, other than that it's just completely convenient? And just repeating that over and over and over again. If the guy had said that it was racially motivated... Would you have believed him then? Yeah, I kind of think you would. So basically, you'll just believe whatever's convenient for you at the time. It doesn't really matter what the guy says unless he says something that agrees with you. Then it does matter. Oh, yeah. Oh, he said it was a hate crime? Yeah, then I believe him. Oh, he said it wasn't a hate crime? Oh, then oh, I can't take him at his word. Come on. The numbers say differently. The reality is if you go on a shooting spree at a, at a massage parlor, you know, that type of massage parlor, let's say, the exotic type of massage, it's a good chance there's some Asian people working there. And it's odd. 
A couple years ago, when Robert Kraft had a problem with one of those places, remember that? These places were hotbeds for human trafficking, forced prostitution, sexual slavery. Here's this rich white man taking advantage of these poor little Asian women. Now, when the roles are reversed, and, and you want the people to be sympathetic, uh, uh, now you just ignore all that. It doesn't work that way, I'm sorry. And another question the mayor of Atlanta might want to answer is why these places are allowed to be in business. Now, I'm not, I'm not condoning the shootings, obviously. Only, only a mental patient would do that. The guy's obviously a sick human being. Whatever his motivation was, I really don't know. And quite honestly, I guess it does matter. The bottom line, if you're sick enough to go shoot people at, you know, randomly at, at, at a variety of businesses, you have something wrong with you, period. You're just, a, you're just an awful human being who never deserves to see the light of day again, whatever your motivation was. But they try to make everything now, the whole theme is that there's some sort of war on Asian people. Whenever they do this, whenever they talk about hate crimes against blank are up, it's only one group at a time. So whoever hates people so much, these guys are basically working... It's like they have seasons or something like that. Oh, anti-black violence is up. Oh, you know, trans black women are being murdered at an alarming rate. Well, how many? Oh, there have been 34 murdered this year. Uh, okay, is that a lot? I don't know if that's a lot. How is that a lot? I don't know. You, make any, you can make any number seem like a lot if you really wanted to. But it just seems like we trade off from one group to the other that's just being attacked viciously and it's all white supremacy and yada, yada, yada. The, the, the anti-Asian thing, we've been seeing stuff on social media, like on Twitter and Facebook for about a month now about stop Asian hate, stop Asian hate, stop Asian hate. But it doesn't look like a lot of, you know, quote unquote, white supremacists are committing these crimes. Once the suspect in the Atlanta shootings was discovered to be a white guy with glasses and a beard and everything like that, he just looked, he just looked kind of like a, a closet Nazi. Boom. That's it. White supremacy, anti-Asian. It was a hate crime. No, no regard for what he actually says at that point. They've latched onto it and the wheels are in motion. It's kind of ridiculous. But all of a sudden, the people that work at sex shops, the people that operate these sex shops, that's the key. Now, the people working there, and I'm not saying anyone deserves to get shot. But all of a sudden, you just sort of paint them as sympathetic creatures here who are just going about their day. They're running an illegal business. Can someone explain to me why that's allowed to even go on? Not, not to say that that justifies the shooting or anything, but are we just going to skip past that part? Of course. Because if you're the mayor of Atlanta, okay, who's out there trying to make this into some vicious hate crime, you don't want to talk about the fact that you have sex shops running out in the open. That's just what's going on over there. And when it was Bob Kraft going to these places, oh, my God, these women are victims. The people that own these places are monsters. These women are sold into sexual slavery. Sometimes they're brought over here in container ships. They're snuck into the country. There's no question that some of that, some of that stuff goes on. Whether it's as bad as people made it, made it to sound when Bob Kraft was arrested or not, that remains to be, that, that, that's something that's open for discussion. But when a white guy opens fire on three of these places, yeah, that part of it absolutely just slips right out of the story. Never even gets talked about. When you want to cover stuff based on race or gender or age or any of that stuff, this is what happens. The actual journalism goes out the window, and it's ridiculous, which is why it's kind of fascinating how they're going to cover this next story. It's been very, very awkward in terms of the media coverage of the Sean Watson. Very strange, because now who's the oppressed group here? Who's the, who's the victim in this case? Is it Deshaun Watson, who is a young black man getting accused of sexual assault by 20 women? Or are the women victims of this misogynistic society that we supposedly live in? Which one is it? Someone here has done something very bad. We just don't know who. We don't know if it's Deshaun Watson, who is accused of having massage professionals, uh, I guess, come to his home. And I think a couple times he met him in hotels. He's accused of asking them to do things to him, like stick their fingers up his butt. Um, guiding, guiding their hands towards his junk while they're being massaged, showing up naked for a massage when they've told him specifically to be clothed. He is now accused by 20 different women. The story's not going away. Here's what's interesting about it from, from all angles here. It's 20. It's 20 different women. We've seen this before. We saw it with Trump. We've seen it with, obviously, Bill Clinton. We've seen it, like, throughout the years with a lot of different people. Right now, the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, is going through something similar, although he's not really accused of sexual assault by all of them. I think one or two 
describe stuff that you would consider sexual assault. I think some reporter accused Andrew Cuomo of reaching his hands up her shirt. Do I believe that happened or not? I have no idea. I wasn't there. I honestly don't. I mean, I have my own opinion. If you if you asked me to, to you know, told me I had to make a decision, do I really think Andrew Cuomo was just doing an interview with a reporter and just haphazardly reached his hands up her shirt? No, I don't. I, I don't think that's what happened. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. I just don't personally think that sounds like something he would do. But, you know, I don't know the man. And worth mentioning in, the, in terms of Andrew Cuomo is the fact that the woman who accused him of reaching up her shirt was towards the end of the accusations. In other words, he had one, then another, then another, then another. And, then, and that didn't take. And people were telling him to step down, telling him he needed to resign. He had, he had U.S. senators, Congress people. I mean, everybody was getting involved in this. He's, he, he just basically said, no, I'm standing my ground. You'll have to throw me out of here. And next thing you know, oh, he reached his hand on my shirt. So it kind of escalated from sexual harassment to sexual assault. I found that curious. And I, I do not like Andrew Cuomo in the least bit. Not at all. But what's right is right. All these women what, all these, all these women at one time all of a sudden remembered that he was inappropriate with him. Deshaun Watson is not accused of making women uncomfortable as much as he is accused of sexually assaulting them and trying to get them to do things they didn't want to do. Up to and including oral sex. You say, well, you can't force a woman to do that. Hey, listen, I'm not getting into the X's and O's of all this. I'm just telling you what he's accused of doing. Butt stuff. Bring a woman's hands up to his, uh, to his junk. When, he, when they specifically told him they don't want to do stuff like that, it's not that kind of massage. 20 of them. Now, he's also having problems with the Texans. He wanted out of Houston. He wants a trade. So the timing of this is really, really curious. The lawyer used to be neighbors with Bob McNair. That's very, very curious. And 20 women at one time, but not one of them ever went to the cops with this. That's a lot of women to never contact police. You say, well, Andrew Cuomo, okay, yeah. Andrew Cuomo is not accused of sexual assault, except maybe in one particular case. This is very reminiscent of some of the Trump accusations. Why is that? All the women coming forward at one time, but all coming through the same civil attorney. The difference here is that the Trump accusations were from years and years and years ago, way back when, where there wasn't going to be any kind of cell phone data or anything like that to, to feed off of. That's not the case here. These are recent accusations. There are conversations via text, via social media between Deshaun Watson and these women. So the attorney claims to have some sort of evidence. There's evidence that he knows these women. I'm not quite sure it's evidence of sexual assault, but not one of these women contacted the cops. So you don't have one police report. You don't have photos. Unless one of these women set him up with video or whatnot, I'm not sure where this goes. It doesn't mean, however, that the NFL is not going to get involved. We saw what happened with Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott was accused of grabbing a woman basically in the, uh, by the breasts, if I, if I understand this correctly, at a, I think it was a Mardi Gras par uh, parade or a party. Ended up getting six games. I think that's what it was. And he fought the NFL tooth and nail, and they basically weren't going to budge. Once the NFL starts investigating, they're not going to stop until they find something. They've got very, very strong, sophisticated investigators working for them. These are former cops, guys who used to be federal agents in some cases. This is going to be investigated, and probably the truth does come out. The first thing I thought, though, was, oh, this is the Houston, Texas setting them up. I don't know. I don't know that that's true. I don't want to condemn Deshaun Watson for something he didn't do, and I certainly don't want to condemn women who might be victims of a crime here. And so you know what you do? You wait for the facts to come out. Other people don't have that ability to do that. I understand all that, especially journalists who want to sell a story here. But it's been very awkward in terms of the coverage here because you have journalists that have basically subscribed to some of this quote-unquote activism over the last few years, whether it's women can't catch a break or black guys can't catch a break. Well, now you have a black guy pitted against a bunch of women. And so if you're going to involve yourself in that kind of dishonest reporting, this is the quandary you find yourself in. That's why I don't get involved in shit like that. That's why I think it's, it's stupid and it's cheap, to be, to be perfectly honest about it. And at first I said, there, you know what, this is ridiculous, this is a setup, and 
man, 20 women is an awful lot. 20 women is at the point where I'm not saying the guy's guilty, but we have to sort this out. And you know what? It's March right now. Not that long, though, until training camp, until team events, until you have to make a decision if you're the Texans, is this guy going to be involved in our football team? Very, very strange. Remember something. He wanted to trade. No one's trading for him now. I mean, you'd be a fool to trade for the guy now. You don't even know if he's going to have a career after this. You don't know what the hell's going on. All I do know is that someone here is very, very disturbed. Whether it's Deshaun Watson, who is basically preying on these women, according to their accusations, in a sort of serial manner. We just saw Kellen Winslow get sentenced to 14 years in jail for being a rapist, okay? Or whether it's these women who are basically working with this lawyer trying to, trying to engage in some sort of cash grab. Or it's the Texans trying to tarnish his reputation. I'm not quite sure what's going on, to be very honest with you. And one of my friends said to me, oh, you know what? Guy's got a squeaky clean image, and all of a sudden this comes out. Hey, listen, Tiger Woods had a squeaky clean image, and we all know how that went starting around Thanksgiving 2009. Not to say Deshaun Watson's guilty. I'm just saying we've been fooled before by pro athletes, and I find this to be a bizarre, bizarre story. And quite frankly, I don't think anyone, I mean, Deshaun Watson knows the truth. I don't think, I don't think a lot of people actually know what to believe right now. Very, very confusing. But again, if you're going to do everything based on race, gender, age, and all that crap, well, then you know what? You're basically torn apart here because you, you, you're in a no-win situation. That's why you shouldn't cover stories that way. Simple as that. So that's going to be something we obviously keep track of for the next several weeks as the story plays out. March Madness. First of all, before we get to the men's tournament, let's talk about the women's tournament and how, speaking of oppressed, aggrieved parties, there was a video circulating. It was a TikTok video. went around Twitter and... You know, Instagram, Facebook. Again, follow me on Twitter at BCAK the man. Follow the show at Air Attack Radio. One of the players from, I believe it was Oregon, released a little video of a little pyramid of weights that looked like somebody swung by Target with the trunk open and just said, Give me whatever you got, I'm in a hurry. And brought it over to the women's facilities in San Antonio, where they're having their own little NCAA tournament bubble. Just little dingy little, you know, just a set of dumbbells. There are probably like fifteen or twenty dumbbells there. Not very heavy. And the girl said, we're not getting a better, a better weight room until the Sweet 16. This is what we have to work with. The men have this, that, and the other. Yada, yada, yada. Then here's the food we have. Here's the men's food. The men were already complaining about the food from day one. I actually talked about it on the last show. So I don't want to hear about the food. Okay, if the food sucked, you know what? You take it up with the NCAA. The NCAA is known for being cheap. I think I said this last time, too. Villanova won the Final Four a few years ago and was served peanut butter and jelly in the locker room. Don't get me started with, with food in the NCAA. Okay, you're barking up the wrong tree there. That is absolutely ridiculous. Mark Emmert from the NCAA comes back and says, hey, listen, the video that's out there is already out there and people kind of go with it, but that was never meant to be the weight room. That was meant for warm-ups before practice. Well, why wasn't the weight room set up to begin with, Mark? Can you explain that to me? What kind of operation are you guys running where you would even allow something like this to get out there? Why would you set yourselves up for this? Why would you be so ridiculously cheap? Where did you get those weights? Honestly, th those aren't even like, that's not even like a Models set of weights. That's the kind of, that's the kind of weights that would sell like at Sears or some, or some, you know, some kind of low-end department store. They looked ridiculous. Why would you even set yourself up like that? Because you know, in the age of cell phone cameras, it's going to get out there. And you know, there are girls that think they are oppressed to begin with. There are guys who think they are oppressed because they, they play for the NCAA. In fact, the, the men have launched a protest about how they're not the property of the NCAA. I forgot the exact name of the protest. And I'm not really that interested in it. But they basically decided to launch a protest, uh, uh, basically based on the fact that the NCAA has, has permission to use their name and their image and their likeness, which is obviously NIL, the, the source of a, you know, new legislation that's coming out, but that they can't profit off of it. And, and you know what? They make a point. So what? 
But the women are now complaining about equality and how this is terrible and this is part of a bigger, bigger problem. Muffet McGraw chimes in about how she's angry and she's not going to take it anymore. Hey, Muffet and the rest of you, calm down. Have you heard of Title IX? Do you know what Title IX is? I'm being sarcastic. They absolutely know what it is. Title IX says that you have to spend the same amount of money as a college or university on women's sports as men's sports. There have been literally hundreds of men's sports programs wiped out across the country because of Title IX so that you can level the playing field because, quite frankly, a lot of schools don't have money to just throw at sports that lose money. So schools like Purdue, like Purdue has no men's soccer team. That's a Big Ten university. They have no men's soccer team. They have a women's soccer team. They don't have a men's soccer team. And there are stories like that across the country. So spare me, spare me the, the, you know, the, the walking up the hill with a cross routine. I'm tired of this. I'm, I'm honestly tired of hearing about this. Why do you force us to say this? You guys play a sport that loses money. And that was, that was, my, that was my, my hunch when I read this story. And, of course, I looked it up. The women's tournament loses money every year. Just like the WNBA loses money every single year and is supported by the NBA, the women's tournament is supported by the men's tournament. Do I think you guys you know, deserve a crappy weight room like that? No. The NCAA should have done a better job of planning. Is this the biggest problem in society right now, that there's a, a crappy set of dumbbells near the women's practice court in San Antonio for the tournament? No, it's not. Who gives a shit? Stop squawking about the food. Everyone knows the food sucks when you first get to these places. Even the NBA had a problem in the bubble with the food they were served at first. This girl pulls, puts out this snarky video about, hey, you know, if you're, you're not bothered, you're part of the problem. So what if I am? I don't care. What, what, do, what do I give a shit about your ability to lift weights at the NCAA tournament? What do I care? And while the girl may have a point about the ineptitude and the incompetence and just the, the, the total I, I don't know, corrupt mentality at the NCAA, it's not really an important issue in the grand scheme of things. It isn't. You're able to play a tournament. Okay, they're providing you with a bubble. They're providing you with venues to play. They are providing you with meals. They are providing you with hotel rooms. Okay, are they perfect? No. And if you want to go ahead and say something about it, you are absolutely free to do that. And the NCAA looks like a bunch of bumbling fools because they've been screaming about equality for the last 10 months, and then this is how they behave. And the NCAA can spare me with these social media posts about, hey, the women's weight room has arrived. Like the most, like one of the guiltiest posts you'll ever see on social media like here it is just a couple days late it, whatever you were going to do down there you have to do from the beginning otherwise it just looks like you're trying to cover yourselves and i think mark emmert's probably full of shit I, he probably was not going to put a weight room in for the women and, and and as much as i don't care the girl who did the video does have a point you do it for the men why don't you do it for the women if the ncaa is what they say they are the bottom line is the ncaa is not what they say they are they are a business and that's all they care about. They really do. They really do care about the men's tournament. But listening to Muffet McGraw act like the women's tournament needs the same coverage as the men's and everything else. Why would somebody do that for something that doesn't make nearly the money as the main event? That's just not how it's going to be. You're just not going to get the buzz and that's okay. But by you complaining about it like this, you're basically forcing people to point that out. Don't you understand that? Like by you complaining about the lack of coverage and the lack of facilities and, and some of the resources that you give the men, by you complaining about that, you're actually drawing attention to the fact that at the end of the day, it's women's basketball. It's not as popular as men's basketball because it's just not as good of a sport. That's just all. And I jokingly say this all the time, and I don't really mean this, but if you want to see how your sport compares to the men's sport, go ahead and put your ladies up against the men. Let them play a game. Honestly, there, there's not anything you could do in any way, shape, or form that will allow for the women to compete with the men. You can make the hoop smaller, the ball smaller. You can do whatever you want. You can lower the hoop, whatever you wanted to do. Make the court smaller, bigger. Whatever you tried to do, the men would still dominate the women. It's just a superior form of basketball. Why do you make me say stuff like that? I don't want to say stuff like that. The women who play, especially in the NCAA tournament, are really good at what they do. It's women's basketball. Calm down. Just the way it is.
As far as the tournament itself, as the Sweet 16 is set, um, you had a lot of upsets here. I think it's time we acknowledge one thing, first of all. The NCAA does not know how to seed these teams. These, these clowns at this organization do not know how good some of these teams are. I'm tired of hearing about these analytics and, and, and Ken Palm and these little ratings they use. I don't think these guys even watch the games. I really don't. These are, there are teams that are completely, just completely mismatched in terms of where they're seated relative to where they should be seated. You tell me Loyola of Chicago is an eight seed? You've got to be kidding me. And as much as I, as I said Illinois was vulnerable, and I said they've been overrated all year, and let's face it, they scored 58 points in the second round against Loyola. 58. I know Loyola is a good defensive team, but 58 points? 24 points in the first half, that's how you come out in a second-round game? you got to be kidding me. But they shouldn't have to face that team in the second round. What's the value of being a one seed if you're going to run to a buzzsaw like that in round number two? It's absolutely ridiculous. So I thought the entire, I thought, I thought the, the entire take from this whole thing, the entire thing, was, it was very simple, that the NCAA does not know how to seed these teams, and they clearly, clearly do not watch the games. I mean, absolutely simple as that. Teams are, these teams are way off in terms of how they're seated. And there's always some debate about it. But these teams are way, way off. We talk about the Sweet 16. Gonzaga gets right past Oklahoma like we thought they would. Obviously, no problem in round one. Creighton did a good job here. UCSB should have won that first game. <laughs> Creighton was very lucky. They were really, really lucky to get by uh, UC Santa Barbara. Should have lost that first game. Take care of business against Ohio. Ohio does away with Virginia in the first round. I'm telling you something. Tony Bennett is one of the most overrated coaches on the planet. I am so sick of hearing how great he is while his teams play these slow-down offenses, these yo-yo dribbles, draining the shot clock down. It is, like, impossible to watch some of this stuff. People go gaga over him. Yeah, he won a national cha a championship a couple years ago. Okay, he was lucky to win that, by the way. Okay, that was a combination of some incredibly clutch play down the stretch by guys like Kyle Guy. That, that team should have lost to Purdue that year, and they also should have lost to Texas Tech. They, they were the beneficiaries of some very questionable officiating, too. I mean, and I mean very questionable. I just think Tony Bennett, I mean, the guy lost to a, a 16 seed a couple years ago. I'm so sick of hearing about how great he is because his, his team goes out there and tries to win games when they're scoring 61 points. I just think it's, it's ridiculous. I think a big surprise here is USC. I did not think USC was very good. I've not seen a lot of the Pac-12 at all this year, i got to be honest. The reason is because they bury a lot of their product on their own channel, and I can't get that channel. I would gladly pay for it. I don't mind paying for channels. You hear me a lot of times talk about, you know, they're burying their products on apps with soccer. Now, the NFL is going to do it a little bit with ESPN+. I don't think that's fair to people who are unable to pay for that stuff. I think it's bullshit. All we hear from politicians lately is how the pandemic affects different people differently and how kids in the inner city or, or poor families, people of color, whatever, you know, marginalized communities, underserved communities, whatever made up term they're using that day. The bottom line is this. If you're poor, the pandemic sucks even more. And one of the reasons it sucks even more is because of the lack of internet access. Well, if there's a serious lack of internet access for certain communities in this country, no matter who they are, where they come from, or what they look like, how is it okay for sports to bury their product on apps. It's bullshit. And the Pac-12 network is kind of in between. They bury a lot of their product on their own channel, yet people like me can't get it. Now, I'm not poor. I'm not underserved. I'm just saying I can't get it. Why do you want to do that? Why do you want to reduce access to your product? Now we get the Sweet 16, and four of these teams are in there, and half the country hasn't even seen them, more than half the country. And USC, to me, is a big surprise as they absolutely destroy Kansas. Remember, Kansas came in here shorthanded. They had COVID issues themselves. And you wonder how much of a factor that sort of distraction was getting in there. Oregon comes out like a buzzsaw. Now, you had a COVID problem. Your only COVID problem in the first two rounds was VCU. This was disturbing for, for a few reasons. Number one, 
VCU played in the A-10 championship against Dayton. I'm sorry, in Dayton against St. Bonaventure. They came straight to Indianapolis. So now St. Bonaventure, you have to wonder if they were exposed to VCU. And St. Bonaventure had just played LSU. So now LSU hears that VCU has COVID, and now they're out of the tournament, and they're thinking, wait a minute, if VCU has, has COVID, does St. Bonaventures have COVID? Do we have COVID? Are we done next? And I really thought for about a day or so that we were going to hear more of these stories, just like we heard at the conference tournaments. Not sure exactly what's going on at these bubbles. There has been talk about how it's not a perfect bubble. The NBA was a perfect bubble. In other words, you were there. You were at Disney World, and you were going to stay there whether you were a participant or whether you were working the event. That's not necessarily the case here at the NCAA tournament. Especially, I think they're using some volunteers, too. You know how that goes. And once again, the NCAA is not going to be quite as free spending as the NBA. Just how it is. That just, that's just reality. And then Oregon comes out yesterday, and you say, well, how are they going to come out their first game? They've been locked in their hotel room all week. Pfft, absolutely just a buzzsaw right past Iowa. I told you something was shaky about Iowa last week, and that proved to be the case. Now two Pac-12 teams are going to meet up in the Sweet 16, USC and Oregon. On the other side, Baylor, I said, was a vulnerable number one seed. I don't know that I feel like that anymore. After watching them play, I didn't watch a lot of them against Hartford because it was, you know, they were going to do away with them early. They played really well against Wisconsin. Um, I had UNC getting by Wisconsin. I had UNC getting by Baylor. I figured UNC's size would create some, some real issues down low for Baylor. UNC couldn't get past Wisconsin. Why? Because Wisconsin showed up to play, and UNC basically came out like it was a scrimmage. They basically came out like they just had someplace better to be. Maturity matters in this situation. It's very tough to gauge exactly how every team is going to react to this whole bubble situation. UNC did not handle it. Wisconsin came out, and Brad Davison was, was absolutely unstoppable, so that helped. And then Baylor, you could just see a difference in Baylor's attitude and their approach, their defensive intensity. And when they are on, when it comes to defense, when they are in sync with their traps and everything else, they're very long, they're very strong. They, uh, they are a scary bunch. They should get past Villanova, no problem. Villanova gets past Winthrop, and then they get by North Texas. Purdue comes out and scores 69 points against North Texas, but that was in overtime. I think they scored 61 in regulation against North Texas. The Big Ten, these teams, I mean, half the teams in the Big Ten just didn't score. It was absolutely crazy. So Purdue comes out, and they did play in that dome. And that's another thing, too. The Big Ten teams should not be playing at Lucas Oil Field. That is a major advantage. They got to play in that stadium already. Lucas Oil Stadium, I should say. Sorry, not Lucas Oil Field. They should not get to play in that stadium when other teams haven't gotten to play there. Put them at Butler. Put them where the Pacers play. Or put them at that, uh, that Farmers uh, Coliseum. Put them somewhere else, but don't put them at Purdue. Don't put them at Indiana, and don't put them at Lucas Oil because they're going to have an advantage because they play at those places. That's not right. So Baylor should do away with Villanova, I would think. Uh, Texas Tech goes down to Arkansas. A lot of talk here about who the better coach was. I know there was some online debate about that. Chris Beard against Eric Musselman. Both of these, te both of these coaches had tough days. Arkansas got past Colgate. Basically had a little trouble with Colgate early on. People were talking about the three-point shooting of Colgate. What did I say last week? Arkansas was going to be able to score whenever they wanted to. They put up 85 after a very, very slow start. And I mean a real slow start. Texas Tech at the end of this game was down to Arkansas by, I think they were down by one. There's 33 seconds left, and Chris Beard has his team playing straight-up defense. What are you doing? What on earth are you doing? They wait until there's about 20 seconds left. Then they foul. And to be fair, they got a missed free throw. They're down by two. Kid on Texas Tech missed a layup. Should have made, made the layup. Couldn't do it. That's it. Arkansas advances. They're going to face Oral Roberts, another Big Ten team that basically just lays an egg in Ohio State. Ohio State should have been able to score as much as they wanted against Oral Roberts. I said last week, Oral Roberts can score. They can absolutely score. 
But Ohio State should have taken advantage of what is rated as one of the worst defenses in the country, and they just couldn't do it. It was amazing how many teams I watched this past weekend that couldn't make layups. They just couldn't. They could not do anything on offense that, that good teams do. And Ohio State was one of those teams. Go to overtime, Oral Roberts gets by them, and their Oral Roberts is, is able to get by Florida, and they'll face off against Arkansas. There should be a ton of points in that game, and they could beat Arkansas. I'm not saying they will. Arkansas should win the game. Oral Roberts could win that game, though. If Arkansas has an off-shooting night, Oral Roberts can easily put up 80 points against them. Arkansas better be careful in that game. Other side of the bracket here, Michigan gets past LSU. LSU had a tough game against St. Bonaventure early. Here, this is what I'm talking about, about coming out ready to play. With about seven minutes gone in the first half, this was like a, the score of the game was like 4-2. to two. Like St. Bonaventure was up like 4-2. to two. It was impossible to watch. Teams just weren't ready to play. Just couldn't handle it. Michigan gets by LSU. LSU had a chance to win that game. Again, couldn't finish, couldn't make shots right by the rim. It was absolutely just ridiculous how they just sort of faltered. Still put up 78 points, but they weren't going to be able to stop Michigan inside. Michigan gets by them, sets up a battle with Florida State. Florida State can absolutely win this game. I have Florida State going to the Final Four because I think Michigan, Michigan's going to have a tough time at some point without having Livers there. They're going to get into a game that's really tight at the end, and they're going to miss having him. I, I Mark my words, it's going to happen. Florida State struggled a little bit with UNC Greensboro. I mean, I mean, a lot more than they should have. Really allowed that team to stick around longer than they should have. Colorado just absolutely blew the doors off of Georgetown before Florida State uh, did away with them last night. UCLA is in the Sweet 16. Okay, who they get past? Abilene Christian. Because here's Shaka Smart with yet another dud in the NCAA tournament. Here's another guy I'm tired of hearing about. He brings VCU to the Final Four a few years ago, and he's the greatest thing ever. Once again, his team underachieves. Okay, get knocked off by Abilene Christian. I said last week that Texas should win that game, but that Abilene Christian would not be scared. They had played some big programs pretty tough earlier in the year, and there you go. Here's another theme. Young players not stepping up, and Boo Knight from Connecticut is one of the prime offenders in this category. Maryland gets by Connecticut 63-54. to Connecticut has a ton of offensive rebounds in this game and still can't make point-blank shots. Simple as that. They were terrible from three. They were ter- I don't think they were very good at the free-throw line either, if I recall correctly. And they could not make simple shots in front of the rim. That's all there was to it. Alabama came out cold against Iona, did away with them at the end of the game, and then they blew the doors off Maryland. Maryland's not a very good team. So you got Alabama and UCLA facing up. That'll be a tough game for Alabama. Alabama's got a problem inside being soft. If Mick Cronin sends some players to the offensive glass, they could cause some problems for Alabama. Not really his style, so it's going to be interesting to see what approach they take. But Alabama has a tendency to come out a little bit lazy. Mick Cronin's teams do not. That's going to be a, a very fascinating game to watch. Kind of, a, kind of a mix up there of styles. Illinois gets by Drexel, no problem. And then obviously runs into a major problem with Loyola. The coach at Loyola should, should be able to coach wherever he wants. A lot of people think he's going to Indiana. We will see about that. Now they match up with Oregon State, a, B, a bid stealer out of the Pac-12. Oregon State uh, keeps Tennessee to 56 points. Tennessee's had that problem all year. There are just times when Tennessee can't score. Simple as that. They get past Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State should have lost in the first round of Liberty. You say, well, they won 69 to 60. How is that? Well, that, that score was, was sort of, uh, that, that margin was magnified a little bit by fouling at the end of the game. Liberty had like a dozen misses at the rim in this game. It was absolutely terrible. Cade Cunningham basically sleptwalked through the first half of this game, got a little hotter in the second half. Then he didn't show up in the first half of the Oregon State game. Oregon State doesn't really do one thing in particular that's that good. They do have a real big body down low who is a very tough guy to get past. I noticed that. And Oklahoma State's another team. They can't finish at the rim. They just couldn't make. I mean, Oklahoma State got this lead, I think, down to one at one point. But Oregon State was up by 10, it seemed like, the entire second half. 
Oklahoma State makes a run. They give it right back. Oregon State against Loyola. Just how you all had it drawn up. Loyola against Oregon State in the Sweet 16. And they will face the winner of Syracuse and Houston. Syracuse gets by West Virginia. It seems like every year everyone writes off Syracuse. Here they come as an 11 seed. They sneak into the tournament. They get by San Diego State in a game that went over the total, which was basically a gift from God to anybody who had the over in that game or the most horrible beat of all time if you had the under. Uh, they get past West Virginia 75-72. to 72. West Virginia was a team that I said was a little bit overrated, uh, if you remember last week. They just have nights where they can't keep up. They have two guys that basically do the scoring for them, and then Syracuse plays that 2-3 zone and gives them a little bit of trouble. Houston got by Rutgers 63-60. to 60. Rutgers should have won this game. Rutgers had a missed dunk in the second half, late in the second half, missed dunk that would have put them up by 10. They miss it. The rebound comes out long. Houston goes down the court and drains a three. A 10-point lead actually becomes a five-point lead. And then Rutgers does what a lot of these teams like to do. And I'm tired of hearing about what great coaches they are when they simply try to run the clock out at the end of the game. You've got to finish the game. You've got to play 40 minutes. It's just what you have to do. Steve Peichel decides he's going to try to drain the clock. It comes back to bite him. Rutgers loses by three to Houston. And now you got Houston and Syracuse set up in the Sweet 16. A lot of drama, a lot of sort of erratic play. Now, remember something. These teams played Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. They're not going to play again until Saturday. This is now a test of wills. This becomes a battle of your own mind. You only got 15 other teams there, so it's not probably as chaotic as it was when you first started. You know what I mean? Like even, even though you're isolated on your own floor, when you go down to practice, they're practicing in a convention center. You're not seeing a bunch of different teams now. There's only a few teams that are going to be there. You can probably now practice on the court you're going to play at. That's another thing. Why are they mixing up the venues for these guys in the first two games? No matter where you assign these guys to play, whether it's Lucas Oil Stadium or, or any of the other places, any of the, you know, the, the arenas at Indiana, at Purdue, at Butler, what, what have you, why are they playing a different venue round one and round two? That made no sense to me. So I'm not, I'm not talking about it necessarily from a handicapping standpoint, but just in a fairness standpoint, these kids have been through enough. And as much as some of them might be a little hysterical about it, whether they're men or women, you know, whether it's videos of a weight room, whether it's stories about how the, the, you know, we're not NCAA property and wearing little hashtag shirts during warm-ups, which a couple of them did. I'm sure the NCAA loved that, and I'm sure the NCAA will have something to say about that going forward. You know, the kids are being a little dramatic about it, but they're being put in a really tough situation here. This is not a pleasant environment, and the team that ends up winning this thing is going to have some mental toughness to them. And you could just see by how some of these teams came out. Gonzaga came out ready to fire. Baylor came out ready to fire. Oregon, oh, you talk about, talk about ready to go. Oregon was ready to fire. And there are certain teams this year that have reputations for not coming out of the gate hard. Oklahoma State's a perfect example. They're gone. They lost to a, they lost to a team that had no business even being in the tournament 10, 11 days ago. None. But when you don't come out ready to play, when you come out like you're annoyed to be there, when you come out like you feel like, hey, listen, they should just advance us, you know what happens? What happened to Virginia? What happened to Texas? You get beat by an inferior opponent. UCLA disposed of Abilene Christian. Abilene Christian doesn't have anything that you look at that impresses you physically. The guys can play. They play very hard. But even their guards are smaller than the other guards on UCLA. Just a, a very small, almost skinny kind of a team. But they went out there and played the games of their lives. Texas showed up as if they had something better to do, and the good news for them is they have all the time in the world to do it now. It is on the coaches to get these kids ready to play for every tournament game because if they don't, you can get caught napping at any, any given time. Okay, that's what happened to Virginia. That's what happened to Texas. That's what happened to Ohio State. I'm not saying the teams that beat them don't deserve some credit. They do. But the, but the reality is that Ohio State, Virginia, they should have won those first-round games easily against inferior opponents, and it's on their coaches to get them ready to go. The reality is that they did not. 
And you have to be focused in this situation and ready to come out of the gate. I know it's not easy. I know it's difficult. I put some of this on the players, but I put a lot of it on the coaches. And you're starting to see which coaches around the country are really focused on basketball, which, got, which guys can really get their teams motivated, which ones can actually function in-game and make the kinds of adjustments you need to make to an opponent that's taking you by surprise, and which guys are just a little bit overrated at very, very high price tags. That's just how it is. And that's all the time we got this week on The Air Attack. Thanks for joining us. Make sure you check out Facebook.com slash The Air Attack and follow me on Twitter and on SoundCloud at BCAK The Man. Follow the show on Twitter at Air Attack Radio. And remember, The Air Attack with BC The Man can be heard on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and the Anchor app. Subscribe and share today. Let's close it out tonight with Lace. So fly. I am BC The Man. I'll see you guys next time on The Air Attack. Type of shit that's gold sale. Game change, game strange. I don't wanna be near. I'm up and out of here in a different atmosphere. I'm so high, I'm so fly. You know why? How I vibe ain't no lie, ain't no lie. 305 is what made me. Hustling is what pays me on the daily. Getting ladies, you know why? I'm so fly, so fly, so fly. I'm fresh. Getting cash, I got the girl. I'm so fly, alright. I'm so fly, alright. I'm so fly. You know why? I'm so fly, so fly, so fly. I'm fresh. Getting cash, I got the girls. Plus the checks, what's next? I'm so fly, alright. I'm so fly, alright. I'm so fly. You you know why? You know why I'm so fly. Every day stay so high. When I die, don't cry. Just look in the sky and know. My dreams chase the green hit the scene so fresh and clean so fresh and clean yeah hustle leverage is what i do low key is how i move if you can't move how i move then you can't do how i do it's simple nigga multiply mathematics gotta get it gotta have it it's a habit i'm a savage i'm a grinder i'm a thinker i'm a motivator little hustler she want to spend the night with me but no i can't trust her with the gucci on my feet versace on my face when i walk up in the place they say there he go that's lace cause i'm so fly so fly so fly i'm fresh getting cash i got the girls plus the checks what's next i'm so fly all right I'm so fly all right.